G'day, I'm Dan Fox. This is Farmers Helping Farmers, the podcast. Proudly brought to you by Vic No-Till. Uh, and suddenly it's just like this penny-dropping experience. Oh my God, these microbes, because you can't deny it, this is the paddock that makes you the money, and it's the microbes that are making you the money, because that's the big difference. My guest for the podcast today is one of the most well-travelled and widely published educators in the regenerative agriculture space. He is the author of hundreds of blog articles, the popular book Nutrition Rules, and is the host of the Nutrition Farming Podcast. In his spare time, he is practising what he preaches on his own farm in Queensland. We've got the one and only Graham Sade here with us today, so welcome Graham. Pleasure Dan, great pleasure to be here. And I hold you guys in awe, I think you're world leaders in what you're doing, absolutely driving this whole movement, but you don't realise how far ahead of the game you are and what change makers you can become because you're just doing an amazing job and I admire totally what you're doing so well done. Uh, thanks for the kind sentiment. Um, I think I want to start this conversation uh, probably a little bit around your backstory. I ask everyone that we interview how you got to be where you are. I had three businesses and I was very successful and I had a family that I've loved and adored and, and given my best to, but not given back to anyone else much in, in the lifetime. I've never volunteered or been on the bushfire brigade or some of those heroic things. I see them as heroic. Um, and then I had this six-year-old daughter um, hit by a car outside of a school at Yamundi and horrifically injured, you know, 120 k's on a four-wheel drive, a six-year-old. Luckily, we were into books and she had 30 library books and a backpack, so that slightly reduced what otherwise would have probably killed her. And then she was in a coma for three months and, um, you know, it was kind of horrifying because she was an organ donor that they came to us almost on a daily basis and said, look, we've got this person waiting for her kidneys or her liver or her eyes or whatever you could harvest and I refused to turn off the machines and so we hung in there and it was quite you know some some crises for the first month and then she settled in and you're sitting there watching all these machines that are linked to a beeping uh, and you know really kind of reevaluating your whole life in that scenario um, until you've been there you can't really appreciate what that means but uh, then all the machines started beeping and they said this is, you know, brain pressure was building and a whole range of things and they said this is what happens when brain death's approaching so prepare yourself for the end. And so uh, I've, as I mentioned, I'm not conventionally church-going religious but I know that there's something there and I, for the first time in my life, made a deal that should she survive against the odds I would do something of value with the rest of my life rather than just making money and looking after my family. And 20 minutes later, she came out of the coma, you know, made headline news as this miracle child. And so I then had the sleepless night of what am I going to do? And I developed this embryonic interest in the small farm I had in recognising uh, the soil and its importance. And so I decided that I'd become a nutrition expert, that I would, you know, with no formal training, I decided I would become an expert in soil, plant, animal, human nutrition, and that I'd form a company, I'd take multinational, it was just like, this is what I'm going to do, and then I went out and did it. We're in 57 countries, and, you know, we're the biggest exporters of biological products and so forth. Uh, and so, you know, I then began the learning journey, and of course you can do it yourself if you've got the motivation, you can do it really well, as all of anyone can. I read everyone's papers and everyone's books, and I decided who I thought were the world leaders at that point, the cutting-edge guys, and so then I travelled, because I could afford to, uh, and interviewed all those people, and I thought, well, I might as well put this in a book, because it is... Um, it was my learning journey and it could be other people's learning journey. That book's been reprinted seven times, Nutrition Rules, so it's been a real success story. There's no better place than a tractor cab to get a university-grade education for a farmer. Um, 
and it's just it's podcasts like yourself, um, you know, John Kempf and a few other few other really very smart people that are willing to share their knowledge and actually promote the soil and, and improvements in obviously soil health and plant health and human health. Um, yeah, we've got great opportunities now to to get access to information while we're still still working. So. You've touched on your, your travel that you've done in your time. Uh, NTS has been here for, was it 25 years, 28 years? Um, you've been to nearly every country in the world um, and you've seen nearly every soil in the world. Um, what have you seen in your time since you've devoted your life to, to your cause? Um, what have you seen in agriculture that's changed both good and bad? Well, one of the things, just 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 to sort of not really answering the question, but it's just the thing I'll lead into is um, the power of organic matter in terms of being the great forgiver and the most important single parameter or determinant of high production fertility is organic matter. And so your percentage of organic matter, that's what you buy land on. You buy land based upon its percentage of organic matter because that's the gold, literally. Uh, and you can counter all sorts of imbalances uh, just from that organic matter, your use and your need for chemical intervention reduces with each percent of organic matter. So it's a wonderful... So only you look at places like um, perhaps New Zealand and Tasmania, and New Zealand started off with 12% average and it's down to 7 or 8 and Tasmania similarly. Well, last, sort of the last that are coming to the region because they haven't needed to. You, know, you can actually keep on mining because you've got so much more to mine before you know, before the shit hits the fan sort of thing. So you tend to, to take a little longer to, to recognise that maybe there's a need for a change because you've got that, that wonderful thing called organic matter. So that's been a big part of the story. But aside from that, it's been this, um, this kind of awakening, really, uh, of this need to look and to recognise. It's really kind of a paradigm shift where you, you know, sort of were taught in many instances that the soil was something you stood the plant up in and you threw some minerals and then you put some chemicals to control any diseases and then to recognise there's this whole other equation that involves this invisible hidden workforce that literally determines your success or failure. And I can walk onto a farm in any country and say, show me your best paddock and show me your worst paddock. And these might be guys that have you know, just been conventional mainstream farmers have never thought uh, much about biology. They're just at that embryonic stage of that awareness. Uh, and it's such a game changer. It's such a paradigm shifted to say, okay, here's your worst block. The paddock costs you money every year and here's the one that makes you the money. And you do this test. It's a 20-minute test. You're measuring total microbial biomass and you're measuring the all-important fungi to bacteria ratio. The good block will have 400, 500, 800, that kind of reading on the meter in terms of total microbial biomass, and the bad block will measure 100 or 80 or 120, and the fungi to bacteria ratio will be 90 to 10 on the bad block, and it'll be closer to 50-50 on the good block. Uh, and suddenly it's just like this penny-dropping experience. Oh, my God, these microbes, because you can't deny it, this is the paddock that makes you the money, and it's the microbes that are making you the money because that's the big difference. And that's just like this huge shift. And suddenly you realise, oh my God, I'll look after them, they'll look after me, and that's exactly how it works. And so that changes. Everything you do impacts soil life. And if you can make that more positive than negative is the pragmatic approach that we call nutrition farming. It's not saying you can't do this, you can't do this. How can I do it better and with less damage and with less impact? Uh, and that's how you move forward. I know you spend a lot of time educating, um, but you also spend your spare time farming. Um, and this is a Farmers Helping Farmers podcast and uh, I think it's a great thing that 
you as an educator are still a farmer as well at heart. Um, got three farms. I um, there's one apple farm, and what what well, do you want to share I, with I, our I, listeners? A smaller kind of vegetable farm and stand top. A, a large apple farm, eighteen thousand apple trees, three thousand stone fruit trees, and we grow um, things like quite large-scale garlic as well and we've got some multi-species cover crops and other bits and pieces that we're doing and we grow a crop called yakons which is a wonderful crop that most people should look at because it's really problem free um, incredibly bountiful there's two income streams from it there's this tuber that tastes like an apple they call it the peruvian apple it's claim to fame it's the highest known source of prebiotics so you know probiotics are the good guys you can put back in your gut prebiotics are food sources to stimulate your existing microbiome and they're at least as important some say maybe even more important that you've got your native organisms let's boost them up and get them working and functioning at their best and that involves things called prebiotics and the two most researched of the prebiotics are substances called inulin and fructose oligosaccharide or FOS for short and the queen of prebiotic foods is something called Jerusalem artichoke it's always been the highest and it's this wonderful food yakons are double the prebiotic effect double the inulin and fructose oligosaccharide so that the highest known source so they're a gut medicine literally filled with antioxidants and other benefits beautiful taste like an absolutely delicious taste we've got some dried ones you can taste them over there because that concentrates up that effect tenfold when you dry dehydrate them but they're just wonderful they, they grow like a sunflower plant two meters high they have about you can have as much as 20 kilos but normally on a full paddock you'll get five kilos of these tubers you get six dollars a kilo for the tubers you can get thousands of plants per hectare and six dollars per kilo and then the rhizome this knobbly red thing that grows directly beneath the main stem before then you have these tubers hanging off the rhizomes that's what that's your growing material that's your plant material and each little knob on the rhizome is a stem that comes up for the next season and they are 30 dollars a kilo their their values lots of people are getting into it because there's a lot of potential uh, and so you get this double income stream you get maybe two kilos at 60 dollars per plant and you're, we're talking thousands of thousands of plants per hectare and and then 30 dollars. so maybe as much as 100 dollars per plant is one hell of a cash crop they are something real special and anyone can grow them they go everywhere yeah. they grow really really well in cold conditions they die off at the first frost and then they pump all these sugars down into the roots as soon as they've died back and that's when you harvest them but you just taste one i haven't got the fresh thing here we've only got the dried ones but they are absolutely delicious and they've got massive potential they're also called the diet potato because they've got a bunch of substances in there that shut down the hunger hormone called ghrelin and so if you have some, we make a powder, a fresh dried powder from it, and you have a teaspoon or a heap teaspoon of powder, 15 minutes before a meal, you'll eat about 30% less. So that's a great way to lose weight. You just, you're just satisfied much easier when you shut down that hunger hormone. So yes, lots of potential, lots of commercial potential. You've got an apple orchard, um, and everyone we talk to, everyone says, well, horticulture is sort of five to 10 years in front of... Um, broadacre farming in terms of adoption of um, new techniques uh, and then recognising what those te- techniques are doing for both, uh, I suppose, plant health and then the flow-on effects into the produce and, and into human health. Um, what's your findings on your own farm? There were two blocks of my 17 blocks of the 18,000 trees that were completely written off. They had root disease. The guy put God knows how many chemicals trying to control them. And he said, look, push these out. I've left them in, but push them out because they're a waste of space. And the trees are almost dead. There's the odd shoot coming out of them. And I said, no way. This is what, where we prove 
the possibilities. I did what I call my resurrection formula, which is about 400 bucks per hectare, so it's not cheap, but it's really high doses of specific organisms and food sources and humates and, and kelp and, um, you know, basically probably 10 ingredients that are combined in that at quite high rates. You know, it's like 20 litres of molasses is in there as a food source for the organisms you put in and so forth. Um, and those blocks have come back beautifully I mean they've just come back completely to life it's literally the resurrection formula and it demonstrates the potential you know it is remarkable uh, the potential and this is a soil with 40 years of chemicals so the starting point and this is part of what I teach is that if you've used chemicals for a long while there is an accumulative effect and many people say oh it doesn't work the way it did when my dad was here and often that's relative to the depressive effect of that chemical build-up and of course there's been some research CSR have done some research looking at you know really quite large amounts of residues that have been that are still there in the soil they don't break down like we thought they were breaking down and then they become counterproductive for subsequent production so we use something called the fulvic flush to clean out those residues and I in my soils because I've got 40 years of chemicals in that soil um, I, I did it more than once I actually did it three times but we used three kilograms so normally with fulvic acids so fulvic acids uh, one of its claims to fame is this massively high uh, CC it's got a CC of 1400 and it's the highest known CC so I can suck things into it and hold things uh, and so Fulvic acid, you know, you're talking about tiny amounts of these residues that are present, but you want them out of there. And fulvic acid is, uh, it does many of the same things humic does, but more rapidly and more efficiently because it's 10 times smaller. So there's more surface area and it kicks in and does those things more quickly, but it also can leach. Humic acid doesn't leach. Humic acid in a sandy soil with a CC of 5, and you take humic acid with a CC of 450, not 1400, but 450 for humic, obviously you're going to hold moisture and hold nutrients in a soil with no holding capacity, humic acid is wonderful in sand and it doesn't leach. It holds those things and holds them there. It can't leach, it's 10 times larger, but fulvic can leach and it can grab those residues and often does. Uh, and there's two things that happen. First thing is that once you've bound the fulvic, most of the organisms that can break down chemicals that can fast track what's called biodegradation, they're, they're bacterial species. That's where most of the action happens. And some of them can be beneficial anaerobes, but also conventional aerobic uh, bacteria uh, and and basically you're trying to to, to what you're doing with fulvic. Fulvic is the most powerful bacterial stimulant. It's, humic is this much more complex material that's predominantly a fungal feed and that's how you feed up and improve your fungal to bacteria ratio and lifting the fungal numbers but fulvic's all about bacteria. And so back, anything that can possibly biodegrade it loves fulvic acid, it's its favorite food. So they'll come like bees to a honeypot and fast track, because it's now sucked into that 1400 cc, and you can fast track the biodegradation. And then some things aren't actually biodegradable. There's a few things like dieldrin, which can sit around in DDT obviously for, for decades, but um, you can actually, those things that, that won't biodegrade, can actually leach out. I mean, they go somewhere else, unfortunately, but at least your soil's cleaned. Uh, they'll, they'll leach and take it with it, so, them sort of things. So, um, so, but you, so you're biodegrading some and you're leaching some, but the end results is that we call it the fulvic flush. You've actually got rid of those inhibitory chemicals from your soil. And so we, we are, mo are monitoring, of course, you can monitor soil life to see the change, but we were monitoring various things and we did had to do three to clean the soil up. But then, yeah, we've got this wonderfully productive soil now after that effort. So that's one of the things. And then, of course, this year, like people say, you can't grow an orchard crop with no basal fertilisers and no... You can fertigate and get through, you know, but we couldn't fertigate. We had rain every every day almost, certainly three times, four times a week for the last eight months, and it hasn't stopped. 
so we simply couldn't irrigate. So we'd done no basils because I we didn't we haven't needed to. We just put we just do we do soil life soil tests, soil life tests, and leaf tests is really a big part of it regularly once a month. And we just feed it what it needs. It's fairly basic. What do you want, plant? Oh, okay, here it is. You know, and so in this case we had to do it with foliars, which everyone said you couldn't possibly grow a crop. You can with trace minerals, but surely you can't supply major minerals for fault when you can. And we just grew this amazing apple crop of beautiful, large, delicious flavoured apples. Only problem is we can't sell them. There's an apple glut. So you finally get it right and manage codling moth and fruit fly successfully uh, without chemicals. And then you can't sell what you grew. So now I'm value adding, which is part of what I'm trying to teach, I guess, is that, you know, in what is a really difficult scenario with intensive horticulture to be profitable, I mean, lots of guys just live on their overdrafts, basically. Um, you, you know, value adding is a big part of that. So uh, we, we make, I bought big big commercial dehydrators and we make these wonderful dried apples, dried yakons as well. Uh, we make three varieties of apple juice. We make apple cider, in fact, our apple cider. Everyone said, oh my God, that's the nicest cider. In fact, we've got some, we'll bring some out for people to taste that's in the bus, but uh, they said it's the nicest cider I've ever tasted, so we decided to put it in the, well, almost international Cider Australia Awards, and we got a silver, and, and the guy and the team that won, or the cider that won's in the world's best, highest class ciders from Italy, and it was allowed to be in because it's everything that's imported can be in put into that award so we got second uh, but we got silver and a bronze for, and no one in that Stanthorpe region's ever done that before and there's lots of apples growing there so that was first year around you you don't ever have a chance first year and so so we called the outside a love cloud and uh and everyone said, oh, that's going to be a gay name. People, men want to be men. They don't want to eat, drink, love, glad, but they do. <laughs> so it's worked out quite good. Uh, and then we've done apple cider vinegar, and that's called Mother Love, because, of course, the mother is the big deal with apple cider vinegar. It's a wonderful uh, supplement. Uh, and, and as I said, the dried apples. And, and when we take the pomace, it's called, when you crush the, the apples, it turns out apples, people have not recognised the value of apples. I mean, they've been around forever, and of course, an apple a day supposedly keeps the doctor away. But when you look a little more and a little more depth at that, you find that uh, that the six antioxidants in really high amounts. There's a thing called the ORAC score, the measurement of antioxidant value. And apples are only second to blueberries, they're the second highest. And so they're at like 5,000 blueberries or 6,000, but that's per 100 grams. And you eat 50 grams of blueberries in a sitting. Well, you have 150 grams in an apple, so you've got way more antioxidants, but the antioxidants are accumulated in the skin and in the core, and most people throw out the core. So when, you, when you've juiced them, what you've got left is, is the core and the skin, and that's, so we're turning that into a freeze-dried powder and selling it as an antioxidant powder, and we're also fermenting that, like, like a 200 kilos in a 1,000-litre container with BAM, and there's really good research that you get this amazing response, plant health responses, living fertilizers. We've got several thousand litre tanks of that happening. And yeah, so it's evaluating in every way. Garlic, you have this flower called the scape. You want to taste what pickled scapes taste like. They are beautiful and they've got actually slightly more nutrition than the garlic, which is an amazing plant in its own right, a medicinal plant. Well, the scape's got the same because the flower is what you're there for. You're there to reproduce. That's your central purpose in the scheme of things. So that scape, which is a flower, has got everything in it. Uh, all those beautiful compounds that are found in the in the bulb are present sometimes in increased amounts in that scape, and it, you can cut it, you can 
couple of, couple of pickle it. It's beautiful. So we're evaluating with having pickled skates, pickled garlic, and doing all of those things too. We're setting up a farm shop. We're going to beside a tasting room, and we're going to have a NutriTech depot there, and just sort of set it up as a bit of an ecotourism thing, and and so forth. Pick your own vegetables and all these kind of things on the farm. It's good fun, yeah. but a teaching farm is the way that you, you know you just got to. You've got to evaluate really to make it profitable. Oh, absolutely! And you know, by listening to you, um, you're obviously very, very proud of your farm, uh, as any farmer is. And uh, it's great to see that everything that you are teaching is actually working for you in in your farm, and and you're getting oh, those so sorts of results. Don't, don't, that's don't, right, don't, remarkable. Yeah, result. don't let me get it wrong that it's um, not problem free. But I, uh, I wouldn't say I embrace um, issues, but. I see them as an opportunity each time, you know, when you get, like we had these this huge issues with codling moth and fruit fly, so we just got to find a way. So we're doing all sorts. You know, I didn't know powdery mildew could wipe out an apple crop. It just drops the leaves. It can spread right through and you've got no leaf to size the fruit. Um, and powdery mildew is something we've never successfully really mastered. We've slowed it down, you know, in cucurbit crops and things where it can wipe out that crop and shorten the life of the crop. We can slow it down, but we can't really beat it. So I said, right, we're going to get into this. I took the agronomy team out there. We set up nine trial plots and we looked at the research of everything non-chemical that you could possibly do, things like hydrogen peroxide, all sorts of different combinations. And we found that if we mixed milk powder, there's a very good study out of Brazil showing that milk, this was just ordinary milk, outperformed fungicides on powdery mildew. And then they said, well, is it because it's raw milk? So let's do processed milk, no difference. Low-fat milk, no difference. Full-fat, no difference. Powder, full-fat or low-fat, no difference. They don't even know what it is. It might be the calcium, but something in there is doing it. Uh, and so so we did BAM, which of course feeds on milk powder. You can see that's what he uses with lactobacillus brands because they love it. And we put BAM and milk powder together and in 24 hours, not zero zero powdery mildew so we discovered the cure for powdery mildew which you know was a wonderful uh, finding and that's what's been so great for the farm because you can every problem becomes an opportunity to solve that problem but you know having said that the end of the season we had the wettest season in recorded history we've got something called powder sooty sooty blotch this black sort of powder that comes over the apple that does nothing to the taste of the apple or the integrity of the apple but it looks cosmetically as bad news and it's really hard to get off so we've really battled in terms of making it profitable. You can clean them off, but the labour involved in cleaning each apple is insane. You know, you just can't do it. You, so we're trying different combinations of biology and different things that we can wash and get some, get as much as... It's not all of them, but it's a percentage. And so we, that's the challenge for next year as to how we can beat that. And it's great to look at things as a challenge and, and have that... Uh, they're that way of, of facing those things and I'm sure you'll, you know, with your, you and your team and your understanding of things, I'm sure you'll figure it out for next year and, and hopefully, um, yeah, obviously you're going to share your results with everyone, yeah. um, which, you know, it's going to make the, the industry better uh, for it. So um, I'd like to sort of drill down a little bit onto that nutrition. Obviously, nutrition farming uh, makes our plants healthier um, what that leads to for our produce, our, our nutrient density with our, within our food and how that specifically affects our health and probably our microbiome health as well and within our stomach. Our food is our medicine and our medicine is, is our food. Um, what's your perspective on that and, and well basically how? that's the finding i mean you can go to obviously you can go to the chemist shop and you go to the drug to the health food store or whatever and you can buy your zinc or your selenium or whatever supplement you choose um, but the reality is that's not where we were supposed to get our nutrition from and the evidence of that 
that concept, Hippocrates' statement about your food being your medicine, your medicine being your food, uh, is the findings now that are showing this re- remarkably beneficial compounds that are found, sulforaphane and brassicas, uh, lycopene and tomatoes and red capsicums and watermelons and so forth, this incredible protective anti-cancer compounds and so forth, and there are dozens and dozens of them. But all of them have cofactors that determine how well they work, even things like selenium is the big cofactor is vitamin E. Uh, and so naturally, the highest source of selenium by far, there's nothing even vaguely close to it, is Brazil nuts. Brazil nuts are a wonderful, wonderful food. The, the second highest source is zinc, and the third highest source of magnesium and zinc, selenium and magnesium are the three biggest deficiencies on the planet. So Brazil nuts are mind-boggling. But they've got all of the cofactors that determine the uptake. So selenium, the biggest of several cofactors, all of which are in Brazil nuts, um, but very high levels of vitamin E, which is the big thing that pushes in selenium. So taking selenium in a bottle versus taking it from a Brazil nut, there is no comparison to, in terms of your utilization. In fact, 200 micrograms is how much you need to be taking minimum. If you're smoking, probably 600. If you've got cancer, probably 600 micrograms per day. But eating Brazil nuts, you can eat a quarter of that and get the same uptake because you've got all the things that determine its uptake. And that's how food's supposed to be. And how... Medicinal food is the best measurement is this thing called the ORAC score, which is its antioxidant component. Um, basically, that's determined by how well you grew the food. So even though blueberries might be 6,000, you can find blueberries that are 600 because they were just growing. You know, one study which the UK minister shared with me uh, of oranges in the UK uh, it was, you know, they did the study of vitamin C. Well, you want vitamin C, you have some orange juice. Well, they found significant numbers of orange with zero vitamin C. You just took a bit of urea on them and you don't have the cofactors copper being one of them that build vitamin, that are needed to build vitamin C. You haven't got that. So you think, you know, you think, well, I'm eating. No, you're not. It depends on how it was grown. And so the whole story and the finding that uh, so many of our farm chemicals uh, impact nutrient density uh, and the concept of how can you minimize those, use them more, you know, if you are using them, how can you do it more efficiently and how can you, you know, do tissue testing and, and soil life testing and build up those numbers. Every, micro, every mineral has a microbe behind it. We've mentioned you know, manganese-reducing organisms or phosphate-solubilizers or iron-reducing organisms. And the greater the, the microbial density, hence the importance of that little tool called the microbiometer to see where you're at, the better the food will taste. And taste is a direct measure of nutrient density. And the greater the nutrient density, the greater the medicinal value. I argue that the greatest single wellness tool is the home veggie garden. doesn't matter if you're a broad acre farmer with 20,000 acres, you need a home vegetable garden. And it's not just that you're not going to put chemicals on that, you are going to put a lot of compost and some nutrients and bring your pH up with some lime, get in that 6.4 range. But it's the fact that you can eat those food directly. You don't, I drive up my drive on my home farm where we grow ginger and turmeric and vegetables and pawpaws and bananas and uh, a variety of other things. And dragon fruit is a wonderful fruit. Uh, and I stop on my way up and pick what I'm going to eat for dinner. Uh, and I make my big salad with about 30 things in it. And that I make enough for that night. See, the deal is people have no conception of what's lost with shelf life. A snow pea in 12 hours is 50% less vitamin C. Corn is the most dramatic example of that. Table corn, 20 minutes after harvest, you've lost 40% of all the nutrition in it. It's that quick. So you just try 
you go and you boil your water, put a bit of salt in it, good salt, you know, mineralized salt, not, not table salt, uh, a good mountain salt or whatever, uh, and walk out, pluck your corn, you know, your, your sweet corn straight off your, from your veggie garden, drop it in there for seven or eight minutes, cover it in butter, and oh my God, that's champagne food. And you can only do that with a veggie garden, and you've got all that nutrition. So you don't pick your salad and then leave it in the fridge, because your great benefit is that you can eat it, you know, everything loses nutrition. And most times it's five or six or seven days old by the time you get it from the supermarket but you've got champagne food at its most nutrient dense when you can harvest it and eat it and that's the great value of the ultimate wellness tool called the vegetable garden everyone needs one and there's nothing better than tomato straight off the vine i feel and homegrown you can taste certainly taste the difference so yeah uh conscious of your time and, and the listeners time um i'm just going to wrap it up with one last question um we are farmers helping farmers here at vic no-till and we quite often say something if if i had the chance to go back and tell myself something i would have done things differently in in the past particularly when we are transitioning from high input conventional system to to where we want to be um what's the one thing if you had the opportunity to go back and tell yourself something what would you tell yourself Uh, good question um i think you know just from an experience perspective with not necessarily to myself, but to growers, because I'm, you know, I just, uh, it's amazing the pleasure you can get from sharing, you know, it's just like this, people say, oh, you, you know, it's a great thing you're doing to travel the world and do all this teaching, but it's a gift, you know, it's just like, oh my God, who would want to do anything that's more fun than this, because you're watching and inspiring and seeing this change, part of which you've been responsible for, but I think that the small step story is a huge story you know you've got most farmers are leveraged up to their eyeballs with debt and so forth and they simply they've got a model that even though it's far from perfect they know that they put on this much nitrogen this much DAP or whatever and they put on these chemicals they're going to get if they get a reasonable season whatever yield and they know because they've done it and all their neighbours are doing it and you can't really mess with that system Uh, and you know and I've seen people who have jumped in and said oh I'm not doing this anymore you're right you know we shouldn't be doing these chemicals and we shouldn't be doing all this nitrogen and uh, try and take that in one big step and that's really really dangerous and sometimes it comes off but more often than not it doesn't so it's really step by step and you can do little steps you can do things that are that's what I, I like about what I'm trying to share is that they're not things that are going to cost you and give you any risk factor so there's no you know you can put humates at five percent soluble humic acid granules at five percent with your DAP MAP create a phosphate humate that can't lock up so you've got phosphate for the full season which is what you're doing create a urea humate that's just so much more more effective than just a a urea that's going to volatize or turn into a nitrate so quickly it doesn't turn into a nitrate you stabilize your urea it's the greatest urea stabilizing tool those things can be free of because of the research for example that has shown that there's a phenomenon very well researched nine published papers that i'm familiar with uh, called cell sensitization where nutrients come in through the cell wall but the main thing that governs what gets into the cell to do the good is the cell membrane there's so much action happening at the membrane and calcium stands there is the dormant governing what that's why they call calcium the trucker of all minerals in our body and animals body in the soil as well calcium hugely important in that concept but what's been shown with both humic and fulvic acid is that they it's called cell sensitization the membrane becomes more permeable and you suck in a third more than what you otherwise would have which is huge so you can use it with glyphosate and use 
a third less glyphosate if you put folic acid with it. Uh, so that combination of five kilograms of soluble humate granules with, say, 100 kilograms of DAP, 5% is what works best, uh, you form that phosphate humate. Your humic acid stimulates mycorrhizal fungi and other fungi in the soil. It's got a root hormone effect, this oxen-like hormone that st stimulates root growth. Uh, and... Um, and basically, it's going to magnify the phosphate impact by that 30%. So you can very easily do it for nothing. So there is zero gamble. Just try half a paddock where you say, OK, I'm putting my $15 worth, for argument's sake, about what it costs over here, of soluble humate granules. I'll take $15 off my DAP bill, and you will always do better. So it's so free. not many kilos at the moment at yeah. what the price of MAP yeah. DAP. No, no, there's not a lot to do. And, and it and it's basically becomes free, and you do better than do half paddock with it and half paddock, and then you know, and you'll never not do it again. And that's a small step that costs nothing. Yeah. And seed treatments, you can buy a very good vermicast and then do an extract from it, and quite small amounts as a seed treatment. It's like 50 cents a hectare. You can use BAM as a seed treatment. It's 20 cents a hectare. I mean, they're really low input costs. You know, you can recognize that, that urea is most efficient as a foliage spray. So you put some humic acid that you can make yourself. You can take soluble granules, one kilo per 10 liters of water, uh, make it and stay stable. It can sit there for however long in the paddock or in the shed. And then when you're going to do some urea, you put that with it. You create a urea humate as you foliage spray in it. Uh, and that's the humic acid component is going to cost maybe... A dollar to two dollars per hectare is that kind of rate because you're going to use like five of liters of that and only cost you three dollars per ten liters, thirty cents a liter. So it's a dollar fifty. It's really low cost. Uh, and then, of course, the urea is the most efficient way. Foliage spraying urea is the most efficient way you'll ever use nitrogen. And you magnify that efficiency by combining it and buffering it with the humic acid. And that's just like going to be a huge cost saver for you. So they're not gambles. There's no gamble in there at all. You can't not win. It's kind of like a no-brainer. And that's the sort of... So rather than just jumping in and stopping everything, I'm just working with some guys who sent me photos of their crop and their father had a problem and they, three sons, inherited the farm and they said, oh, we're going to go organic. You know, so they've jumped in and certified, and oh my God, the weeds in that crop are just because they want to do it no-till. Well, you can't. Sometimes you've got to. You can't do no-till completely no-till with no weed management. You know, there's things like roller crimpers and things that we're developing that will probably evolve into that. But you know, the old model of weed management in an organic system was that you know you take advantage of the size of the seed and the depth of this of your your seed plant and the little weed seeds on the top see the deal is there's this whole thing called a zone of exclusion a plant emits an oxen hormone on germination that stops anything else growing immediately around it so you want your crop plant there first just to, to control that first wave of weeds sort of thing so you've got to knock out those little weeds so what you do is you know that your seeds planted deeper than the weeds that are going to come up on the top so you scuffle across the top there's nothing it's not no until you're not disturbing anything what you're doing is drying out the first thing so your plant comes up sets up its zone and that's the first wave of weeds it's usually three waves and then you do this mechanical similar same thing you're just scuffling the top it's not you're saying well there's no till well it is it's still no till but you've got to have a little bit of cultivation mechanical cultivation if you're going to do it with no chemicals and you know that's, these guys haven't recognised that they're doing the purest no tilting and they're falling flat on their face so that would be another consideration yeah, yeah. no and that's i think you've probably knocked it on the head there i think there's a lot of things that we in our transition we need to be aware that we need to earn the right to to be at the end goal where we want to be and yeah yeah you can say yes i'm using this huge amount of nitrogen and you can have a high magnesium soil well you've got to use more nitrogen a high magnesium soil simply requires because of the whole interrelationship and interplay between the physical effect of high magnesium creates a tight, closed soil, 
where oxygen can't get in and the nitrogen fixes are all super oxygen you know they really really need require oxygen so they're not doing much of a job so you simply need 50 percent more nitrogen if you just say i'm dropping my nitrogen because i'm using too much you're going to fall flat on your face you've got to earn the right Mm. yeah that's right and that's you know and every context has got a different way to earn that right too so um I'd really like to thank you very much for your time, Graham. I know you're a very busy man and, and well sought after in in uh, your speaking roles and that sort of thing. So I'd really like to thank you very much for joining us for this podcast today and, and I really look forward to many future conversations with you. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure. This podcast episode was brought to you by Vic No-Till. Our guest today was internationally sought after plant and health nutritionist, Graham Sait, the author of Nutrition Rules and an innovative farmer himself. You can find out more about Graham at vicnotill.com.au. He knows so much about growing nutritious food and we've only crammed in a tiny portion of what he knows into this conversation. Don't forget to tell your friends about the Farmers Helping Farmers podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. The more people who join the conversation, the more we learn from each other. Subscribe to Farmers Helping Farmers on your favourite podcast app and connect with Vic Notil by becoming a member or following us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.